This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. This is podcast episode 23. We're doing it Tuesday, November 15th, day after an Eagles loss, their first loss of the season. But the uh, that's not the subject today. We may get to that later in the week. The subject today is bigger than an Eagles loss because I'm about to interview uh, one of the, the great media personalities ever uh, and certainly uh, who's carved out uh, his place on Mount Rushmore uh, as maybe the most important and influential uh, media person in Philadelphia sports. The great Angelo Cataldi joins us. Hello, Angelo. Thank you, Mike. Right back at you. We go back a long way, man. We go back to the writing wars at the Enquirer. <laughs> That's like, what, 40 years now? My God. Yes. Oh, long time. That started the whole thing. I don't want to get to that in a second. But uh, I, I, I want to, uh, you know, I talked to you, you know, as we got older uh, with this business, and, and it's really kind of kind of sucks the life out of you. I always wondered from afar when you were going to move away from it. And you kept doing it and doing it and doing it at a high, a very high, excellent level. Uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm curious to know what made you finally decide that you were going to walk away. I hit 65 and I started thinking about it. All right. Then the Eagles, I was like 67. And when the Eagles won their championship and I really wanted to leave then, right? I mean, like just announce at the parade, this is my last day, you know, big flourish. But my wife wanted the checks to continue coming in. She didn't want me around that much. So I hung in a few years longer. Definitely decided I was leaving a year ago. And then they talked me into one more year. And like, this was like the best thing they said to us. I said, no. And they said, name your price. <laughs> right. So I went, well, let me take a stuff that I want that I never had before. So I said, you know, I want to be a doctor. I want Wednesdays off. Right. And, uh, I didn't take cut and pay at all. And they gave me a whole bunch of stuff that I asked for. So I said, all right, I'm going to do this one last year. And I've done it. And I'm, I'm, you know, I was kind of cool to be there when the Phillies made the World Series. And it'd be cool if the Eagles take a run here near the end. But 
boy, am I cooked. I'm ready. I have never been more ready. I'm 71 going on 72, but did you think we'd still be doing this past 60? Really? No, I got to be honest. I, I never, in a way, it, it, it's, you know, and I saw what you said in, in a story in Philadelphia Magazine. It's kind of like a drug. I, I didn't know if you used it in the same context, but it is kind of like a drug when you do this. You get you really sucked into it. It becomes your entire life. And 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 you yep. you more than me, first of all, and we'll get to that in a second. But but does it feel like a drug doing this? Yeah, it, you know what it is. It's the repetition every day. You know exactly what you're doing when you're doing it. You're governed by the hours you're on the air. You prep because I've never been secure. This wasn't my career, so I don't, Mike. I don't go on the air unless I got six hours of stuff to talk about. So I that's a lot of prep time every single day. And it grinds on you and you keep doing it. But then you go, oh, but look, I'm getting a good table at a restaurant. The money's really good. It just, it holds on to you. It's hard to finally break it. But I could say that I am ready. There will be no misgivings. Uh, I even I even talked to, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mike and the Mad Dog. I talked to, I talked to him about it because he had quit and then he came back and, mm-hmm. um, Mike, oh, I, why am I forgetting his name? It, Mike Francesca. Francesca. Mike Francesca. And I even, he came on my show once right after he had quit. And he, he warned me then, this is before I went back and he went, you're probably going to regret this whenever you do leave. Yeah, but if you're over 70, what are you going to do? And I'm just, I'm, my tank is just about empty. It's time. I know it's time and I got to do it. And I got to figure out the transition. We all look, we were in newspapers. Did you think we'd end up doing this? I mean, you know, no, I can tell you that there, there were five other things that I thought I'd be doing. And it just uh, it's just like carried me on this wave. And, and, and it's something you can't stop. But it, interesting, you brought up Francesca because he's now doing the same thing I'm doing for the same company. The company oh, really? went into areas. Yes. So he's got his podcast in New York. I've got mine in Philly. They have a guy in Chicago. Uh, so the, yeah, the Bet Rivers Network it, it made us offers we couldn't refuse, which is which is how this whole thing started, Angelo. So let's let's go back. First of all, uh, I had it easier than you on my time slot. The, wh- one of the reasons I have such great respect for you is is the grind that you put up with so many years. People do not realize how difficult it is to do a morning show, especially for a guy as meticulous as you who plans and, and is just complete with everything. And you don't want to go in there with no clothes. I, I got up at a normal time. I had a day to do stuff. You had to pay attention to everything while getting up at three o'clock in the morning. And I don't really know how you did it for that long. Yeah. I, um, well, I cashed my chips on my life. Seriously, Mike, um, my first marriage ended because I had done so much as part, the career became your life. It's what you said. It's it's the entire rhythm of your life, and when you're not on the air, you're stockpiling stuff you might be able to use on the air all the time. There's never a minute when you're not. So it had major repercussions on my private life, and uh, but I signed up for it. And it's like the more money they give you, the more attention you get, the more you know, more desirous you are to keep it going. Let me see how long I can keep the ball in the air. And then it goes from five years to 10 and 15 and 20. And then you start saying to yourself, there's got to be an end game here somewhere. But it, it keeps you going as long as you can. And you pretty much sacrifice everything for it. 
Yeah, so let me ask you, did you enjoy your life? Because you're a guy who was very disciplined. You would go to, to bed at 7 o'clock. You would get up at the proper time to prepare. You you would have to catch up on games that you missed because you weren't going to stay up until 11 o'clock to right. see the conclusion. So um, did was it a life that you enjoyed? Uh, you got the fame. You got the money. You got things that you never thought you would get. But, but did you take the, the moment to say, I enjoy this? Um, I never did. Uh, I may know next year when I'm not doing it. What I can tell you is this. I lived two different lives. I lived the first life. In fact, our careers are on the same trajectory as F goes. On the road all the time, covering sports events, covering teams, dealing with locker rooms, all that. That was one life. That was a life where I went to bed at 3 o'clock in the morning. Then I went to a life where I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was a whole different set of requirements. So, yeah, you know what? To get to live two entirely different careers and be happy in both careers, yeah, I think that's all you can say for yourself. I've got a good private life. I've got a great wife. i got terrific grandkids. I got, I, look, I bitch for a living, but I can't really bitch that much about my own life. It came out okay. Uh, let's go back to the start because, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this. If, if you had not made the tradition – uh, Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio may never have existed, frankly. I, and 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 I, you know, that that sounds dramatic, but it's really not. Once you made the transition, it was the birth of how Sports Talk Radio evolved in this city. Because once you did it, we all looked at it and said, "Oh my God, he, he did this. He was about as serious a journalist as possible, who was just really passionate about his writing." And then you made that transition. And you started the whole thing. Had you not done that, I, I don't think Sports Talk Radio would exist in this town or certainly not at the same level. Well, Mike, it wasn't any great design I had come up with. I hated our boss at the Inquirer. I hated him with a passion. I would do these projects that would go on for months and months. Uh, and then he would take them. His name was David Tucker. And he would book oh, yeah. them. He would take months of work. I would meet with lawyers to talk about what was allowed and what was not allowed to say. And then I would pick up, I would get the early edition of the Inquirer on Saturday, call it the Bulldog. And I would read the beginning of my series that I had spent months of my life on. And it was totally rewritten without my approval. And I would go berserk and I would go, no, I don't want to live that life. So I had decided I was leaving the Inquirer. It was bull crap. I didn't want to deal with it. And, and so I left strictly because WIP, I had a job offer in LA uh, at the LA Times and I was going to go to LA, although I had misgivings because I don't seem like a West Coast type. And, um, and, and um, they offered me 75000 to go on the radio with Tom Brookshire and I was making fifty five, and I did it strictly for the 20 grand. There was no great plan, and I didn't expect to do it for more than a year or two. I don't think Brookie did either, because he didn't. He, he was he was just looking for a way to get out himself, and he figured I'll get this. He was up, you know. Brookie had a great career as a football player and as a network guy. He didn't want to get up any at these hours either. So he figured after a year, I'll unload this thing on this guy, and I'll do what I want. He lasted two years, and then I just figured, well, this will probably play itself out now. And I just kept doing it. And then you guys all came along because you hated the boss too. 
<laughs> well, now I remember the story specifically you're talking about. It was a story you did with Mac now, I believe, yep. on Sports Doctors. You know, it was a big series. Right. Yeah, it was a Team big doctors. series on Sports Doctors. I, I remember specifically the – well, I remember all the rancor in that staff. Here's the thing about the Inquirer staff that people don't realize that – they don't, don't remember back. That that was a gold staff. It, it really was. There were a lot of talented people on that staff. And the thing about being a talented journalist is that you you believe that your work product is superior than anybody who could judge your work product. It's true. And so we all we all resented it. I remember working with Dre Longman, and he yeah. would he would go crazy for the most mundane stories if they changed one word in his lead. Yeah. But that's because we had such pride in our our work product that we couldn't stand anybody who wasn't doing what we were doing, judging us. hundred percent, Mike. And the thing I loved when I started in radio is they couldn't edit what I said. They could yell at me after the show, but it was still what I said. And I loved that. I, it was like, there was a freedom because the Enquirer was killing writers then with the editing and all the other stuff they were doing. And they infuriated all Mac. Now, you know, there wasn't a more serious journalism on that staff at the Enquirer than Glenn Mac. Now, and he bailed in a minute when he saw when he saw that I was enjoying it. He asked me about it. I said, Glenn, yeah, you got to do it. You don't want to be there. That's a dead end. And he didn't think it was going to be long either. And then you jump next. But you right away had some misgivings. You weren't. I did. Sure. Uh, actually, I, I jumped. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I jumped before Mac now because they, oh, okay. they offered me, yeah, they offered me the, the, the drive time. I had been doing a show with Stan Hockman on the weekends. Oh wow! And it was, it was a lark for me. And when they offered me the full time job on dry on evening drive, I was stunned by it. And, <laughs> and, 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 and I asked you. I said. uh, we're we're all trained as the serious journalists, and I'm going to make this career move. And you, you said one thing that I always remember. You said, "But Mike, it's fun." Yeah, <laughs> and yes. and we weren't and we weren't having fun. And so I go, and I made the same move. They it was 20, They offered me eighty five thousand, and I was making fifty five on a one year contract. Wait a minute! They, I, <laughs> I want that ten G's. What the hell? They offered you more. I was working more than Well, you were see, you were two years before, so they the, the the pay scale they didn't realize they didn't set it yet. But they they then they they paired me with Steve Fredericks out of the blue on a one year contract, and I'm thinking, wow. and I had the law degree at the time, and I'm going, I didn't, you know, it really can I make this transition? And you said, you know, but Mike, it's fun. Yep. And I go, uh, all right, I'll give it a shot. And then one year turned into just what, what happened with you. It just hmm. it just sucked us all in one by one. And Mac now and, and you know, Al came with you and and they mined us because here's what they figured out. When you started the morning sports page to go on with Brookie we, and brought us all on, they saw that we knew what we were talking about and we had personalities. And, and that's what I want to get to next. Yeah, because you had to be a personality. And the guy who ran that station, of course, Tom Bigby, uh, who uh, we all loved <laughs> at times. And even if we didn't love him, he taught us the transition that we had to forget about being a journalist. First day, Mike. First day. I think I killed it. I'm with Brookie. Brookie's not saying anything. Bigby calls me in. The guy's name was Tom Bigby. And and he said, how do you think you did? And I said, I, I think I nailed this thing. This This radio may be easier than I thought. And he goes, no, you didn't. He said, no, you don't understand. You're not in journalism. You have to, um, 
You have to entertain now. You have to be, you have to have a personality. You have to engage. You have to be provocative. You had, you know, over, it took a while to pick all that up, but that was lesson one. I went to a journalism school. I was a serious journalist. And now here I am honking for Herschel Walker, you know, doing all this other <laughs> stupid stuff we did, booing McNabb at the draft. Uh, none of that was part of the journalism education. But again, Mike, it was fun. And that's why I kept doing it. In retrospect, how do you feel about honking for Herschel? I finally <laughs> revealed. In this, day, in this day and age. You know, we had him on. Mike. We, we faked the honk for Herschel. There were, no, there were like three people honking their horn. And we, we put in all the sound effects. And then he came on and we played it for him. And he went, wow, Philly. I love Philly, man. They love me. And it was all fake. But then I finally revealed it a number of years later. And little did I ever know that he would be running for Senate. Is it Senate he's running for? Yes, he is. Because he doesn't seem that impressive as a politician. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't see that. But uh, yeah, no, no. I, I, I don't think any of us uh, saw, saw that whole thing coming. <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, the, the, the whole guy talk thing, which yeah. was what Bigley told us we had to do. Like we yeah. we were used to interviewing people. We interviewed athletes and stuff. And one of the first things he said is that guests are killers. Yeah. Was wrong <laughs> but like the, the transition to, to like not ha- being a journalist to interview people was yeah. just interesting. But. On the other hand, it was fun to talk about guy talk because we talked about our lives. Yes. On an everyday basis. We we opened up our lives and that was the thing I think that hit beyond like the normal sports talk radio mundane X and O talk. And that was him. I mean, that was his orders to talk about yourself and talk about things that guys between the ages of 25 and 54 are talking about. So there's a lot of babe talk and a lot of other, you know, drinking and stories like that. But again, it was, um, honestly, Mike, you know me pretty well. My life wasn't all that exciting. So those, <laughs> some of it I had to amplify a little bit. You know? <laughs> but, you know, you, uh, you had a tip problem in a restaurant, so you talk about that and people call. It was less sports then than it is now. Is that weird? It kind of came back toward more sports. Yeah, it, yeah, it kind of did. Um, so... Um, Here's the other thing about the old WIP days. Uh, I don't know if you agree or not, but Bigby set us all up against one another. He like pumped us up on mental steroids to the point where people always say, well, you know, you guys hang out or anything. We didn't hang out at all because we were determined to that we had our show to do. Yeah. And we were almost in in competition with everybody else's show, which is probably not the way it should be. Right. Mm -mm. But he he wanted that dynamic and he liked feuds. Right. Which it wasn't that difficult with uh, Howard Eskin. There were tons of feuds going on with Howard. he, He. he paired me with Howard Eskin. There wasn't a guy that I disliked or loathed more on earth. And he thought that that was going to be a great dynamic for a show. Think about how sinister that guy was. Yeah, well, but my, no, I'm a big, not Bigby, not Eskin. Eskin's not said Bigby was sinister in putting us together. He was, but you know, I mean, to give the guy some credit, it was a damn good show. I mean, it was good. <laughs> Eventually, you know, Eskid would wear on some people, but he was, look, you're, you're doing a Mount Rushmore. He's got to be up there, too. 
I don't know how you would get the hair on the face, but you would need that for the Mount Rushmore. He did it, Mike. He did do it before us. And he did that. He's kind of set the template. I can't deny that I stole some of his stuff. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I, it's really hard for me to give him an yeah, answer I'm, credit I'm, because, uh, because for three years, my life was miserable working with that guy. <laughs> I, and it, it was, you know, I could tell stories until like, the sun comes up. <laughs> uh, but, but in any event, um, so the, talk to me about the great sports debate oh. and how that evolved because that was another appendage uh, of what we were all doing connected to WIP. Well, I always felt like you were the star of that because you were better looking. I thought you did good, although, frankly, in a car dealership where we were doing some of the shows, it didn't matter that much. The The great sports debate was Glenn Macknow's idea. He um, he got involved with uh, Rotfeld was the guy's name. He did a lot of these blooper sports shows. And somehow Glenn, Glenn was a good pitch man, and Glenn pitched them a TV version of what we did that put all of us together uh, on the show. And um, I got, we did it for 10 years or so. And uh, it was really awful television. It was not good. You went on to do good TV stuff, Mike, but we did. I didn't. I ended up doing other bad TV shows. But they can't, See, this is the prep. If you want to know the whole story of this thing, we got there at exactly the right time. They did sports radio before there were enough sports broadcasters to do it. Then we developed enough of a persona that they wanted to give us TV jobs. But really, we were equipped initially with none of those skills. So we went on and we were not embarrassable in the early days. So we would do whatever we wanted. And some of it, I hope they burned the tapes. But Mike, you remember some of the stuff we were doing on there. It was nuts. Well, well, I I, I remember the thing that I wasn't a part of that I got blamed for by Jim Fergosi. But the, <laughs> what what what, re, what resonated about the great sport? Because the, the great sports debate hooked in with people. People loved it. Yes, they did. And they came back for it. what? What was the, the the secret dynamic of it? Um. Well, we did stuff like uh, this was around the side they had on uh, Dallas, the TV show Dallas. Who shot Jr.? So we uh, final of one season. Somebody shot me, and I was shot <laughs> dead on the. <laughs> this is not stuff. And you got to understand, these are not people who are any good at this. These are these are terrible yeah. actors doing a horrendous job on television. And we developed a cult following. And we did, and people. There were periods where people. You would recognize, oh, my God, Mike Missing I saw him on a great sports debate. And remember, we did some special show. In we, did a lo- we did live shows. Live shows. We did, we, we, we did the Hotel Roosevelt. Remember the yeah, seven-year yeah. anniversary? And, and, and the governor, and mayor, he was there. And it was like it became a big thing for a fleeting moment. It was an in, that you had to pay admission to get into that live show. It was like a Broadway show that we were doing. Yeah, that that we ripped those people off. They did not get yeah. their money's worth. 
All right, so so here's the show I'm talking about that I wasn't a part of. It was the trial of Jim Fergosi. This was your uh, you cooked up this idea because you you didn't like Fergosi from day one, even I though the Phillies it. were in first place the whole season, and I didn't like him either. Right. So you do the trial of Jim Fergosi because people were wondering why you dislike Jim Fergosi. They're right. in first place. They're winning. And you, you were the prosecutor. Yep. And Jason Stark was the judge, and he had a British wig on. Yes. The whole bit, and and it was this, it was just a well planned show. It was hysterical, and so uh, I wasn't in on that show. Well, so no, you uh, sound proud of, of that. You sound. Yeah. <laughs> you, that's like three well, times I, I, you said you were a pie. You don't want to be associated with that show, Mike. No, well, you but <laughs> I got associated with it because I went to the Phillies clubhouse a couple days later, and Fergosi, who I, you know, I had said hello to, but yeah. we and we talked every now and then about baseball, and he snubbed me as I passed him in the corridor. I said, "Hey, Jim," and he, and he turned his head and sniffed away from me. I said, "What the hell was that?" So I, and meanwhile, I didn't know about this show yet. And so I, I go in and, and in the office, I go, you have a beef with me or something? And he says, you know what it is. And I said, no, I have no idea what it is. He, he said, that goddamn sport, the, the trial of me on, on that goddamn great sports event. I go, I wasn't even a part of that. He goes, yes, you were. God damn it, I know you were. <laughs> He's yelling and screaming at me. And I'm like, I go, man. I wasn't on the show that day. And I and then suddenly I go, you owe me an apology. And I said, I would like it written. I would like it typed. An apology. <laughs> yes, I, when you find out that I wasn't part of the show, I'll expect an apology. And I stormed out of his office. But it, you guys no, set me up for Stark, he dressed as him, and he was smoking a cigarette, and he was he had, he had him really fat. So why yeah. he must have killed Jason because they were. Oh, he he, dest- he destroyed Jason. He didn't talk to Jason for like two months after that. Right. And uh, and you know how Jason is. Jason takes that seriously. He felt really bad about it. Right. Do you know? Like, we you didn't remember care. how it ended though, Mike? Because it ended great too. So uh, then he ended up attacking WIP people, and he said that we slept with our mothers or something like that. Yes. So now WIP's got to send Mac now, who was part of the show, for his uh, after this thing had come out, he had to apologize, all this stuff. So they send Mac now to the next media uh, get together, and Mac now's job is to engage Fergosi in conversation. So everybody's there, and nobody wants to talk because they know Fergosi's really mad. So there's a long pause. And then Mac now figures, well, I, I guess I have to start it. So he goes, Jim, so how's the team? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, for, well Fergosi had said, Fergosi had said, I'll take questions on the team. And that's what Mac said, so, so, so how's the team? Yeah. And so here's here's the thing about you and, and, and me, and I, I think I learned a lot of this from you, but, but just being a journalist, we developed this fearlessness. And yeah. uh, I, I always looked at my at, once I got past the initial uh, novelty of being on Sports Talk Radio, I, I got the, the courage to, to, to be fearless. Mm. And uh, and I always thought that I had to be an advocate for the fan with all these rich owners and all this mismanagement. And um, and we were all fearless that way. And you more than anybody, because you took on almost everybody who who carved out some kind of an injustice on Philly sports fans. And uh, Buddy Ryan was one and Brayman was another. And you just went down your list. Um, 
like, is that from being in newspapers? The fearlessness that you showed, even though like we were doing rights fees for these teams, and we had to we had to walk gingerly around the, these teams sometimes because they were paying us money to broadcast the games. How, how, how do you describe that, Mike? When I covered teams, I infuriated just about everyone I covered, and it was tough. But I was told when I was at Columbia, treat it like city hall. Ask the tough questions. Do Be a journalist. So I would do this, and then I was attacked by Bob McCammon, the coach of the Flyers. I was attacked by uh, two, mem- two members of the Eagles. Greg Garrity, the wide receiver, saved my life that day. Uh, once I got to radio, I wasn't going in the locker room anymore. I could say anything <laughs> I wanted. You were dumb enough to still go in the locker room. Yeah, yeah I was. The last time I stepped in a locker room was the first day I stepped in a radio booth. You want to see me? Come see me at the radio station. I'll make sure security is there. I said whatever <laughs> I wanted. You know why? Because that's what a fan does. You were saying we were becoming the voice of the fan. Fan doesn't look for the approval of the manager or the owner of the team. Fan says what he wants. That's what we did. Never worried about it. Now, I got in trouble. I was called in sometimes because we had these business partnerships. But in the end, by that point, Mike, we were important enough to the survival of the station that they would go to bat for us. And and they let us say, Ed Snyder owned that team for a while. He hated us, but he never stopped us from saying what we wanted to. And and I, I give him credit for that. But we that's why WIP has always been a very, very good station for the fans because we did always represent their point of view. You know, I noticed that when I moved to move to radio, my newspaper friends kind of abandoned me. They looked at me like I was, you know, they put, they put the cross up like that. I had crossed over to the dark side. Uh, and, and, um, a, a lot of those people criticized you for that very reason you brought up because you yeah. didn't go into the locker room and yeah. you, you couldn't have cared less about that. Never. Talk talk to me about that. Uh, because I kept seeing the check and say, well, they're still paying me. I guess I don't have to go in there. I thought it was garbage. <laughs> a lot of the people, here's the real story of our business, both as sports writers and as radio people. A lot of the people who do this job want to be in the locker room. They want to be a part of the team. They want, to, uh, they want to feel what it's like to be a player. I, If you had ever seen my work on the diamond as a little leaguer or in, <laughs> in, in, in leagues for basketball, you would quickly know that I never for a moment harbored the illusion that I would ever be a player. So I said, listen, if I'm never going to be any good at it, the least I can do is rip the people who do do it. And that's the way I looked at it. Mike, you were athletic. Uh, a lot of these other guys, they were athletic. Al, Al played hockey. Al loved the idea of being in a locker room. The minute I didn't have to go in there anymore, I was thrilled. I hated locker rooms. They smelled. Yeah, and I got to that point, too, where I right? said, what's the point of it? Yeah. You know, we're, we're advocates for the fan. We can see the same thing, if even if we're in the locker room or not. Yep. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so uh, – so now let's let's move on now to the today because the fearlessness that and you're absolutely right we were trained and you you have a master's from Columbia one of the great journalism programs in the country but we were trained the same way it, it, this is how you get the story 
and and you don't have to patronize anybody as long as you're fair. You ask tough questions. Yep. And I I I, I we have witnessed a complete change of that. I mean, like I grew up out with Stan Hockman. Stan uh, Stan would never take any prisoners at all, right? None. And 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 we were we had to get the story, and we didn't care whose feelings we were going to hurt. That it's changed, Angelo. Uh, How and why did it change? Uh, the uh, next generation. Now you will hear a 71 year old man speak. The next generation got softer and they wanted to ingratiate themselves for the teams that they covered. And they were less likely to ask the question. Mike, all these years later, I get to talk to the Eagles coach every week. I ask every tough question I could think of. I still do that part of the job that they trained us to do because that is also doing what the fan wants. They want to know. Why did you uh, why did you allow those guys to run the ball the way they did in Was- with Washington last night? That's something that still comes up all the time. But um, nowadays it's different. This business partnerships, people now can express themselves on social media. Everybody's a reporter now. Everybody's got a, an opinion. It's a lot different than when we started in in the radio side of this. And um, it's not nobody. There's a lot less journalism going on than there ever has been before. And I'll tell you why, because there's not that much of a market for it anymore. People don't necessarily want the truth. They want their truth. It's the best way I can answer it. There's a lot less of the craft. And I don't mean this to to criticize young kids, but young kids come out here and they want to work in a major market in sports like radio because they think they know sports. Yep. And we had to know so much more than just sports. Uh, we had to entertain, but it seems that that's now the direction. Like you don't have to even entertain anymore. You don't have to have any life experience to talk about life to to get jobs in a major market in the radio. Yeah, it drives me insane. And the fact is that a lot of the people that are coming in now don't really they they're not resonating, not connecting the same way. And it's a shame that they didn't pick up more from what we were doing because I'll always believe what we were doing was the template for how to do sports talk radio in Philadelphia. Um, your, your career, it's funny because newspapers, we loathed editors because they didn't know what we were out there covering. And we go to radio and the, and the same thing happens. Even though Big B had his ideas and uh, we blanched and, and they worked, you uh, always blanched at boss's input. <laughs> and like, so big me. And so tell me if this is true or not. Did you get a clause in your contract where Tom Bigby could not literally talk to you? Correct. Uh, my, 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 my uh, agent, I believe it's one of his proudest things. And he represented a lot of top hockey people. I, he said, I said, Steve, I don't want to work there anymore. Um, Tom Bigby is a pain in my ass and it's not worth my trouble. I'm, I'll, I'll work somewhere else. And he said, I'll get you whatever you need. And I said, well, I don't ever want to talk to him again. Whenever he starts on me, I want to tell him um, I'm not talking to you and there's nothing you can do about it. So he got it in the contract and CBS radio approved the clause for <laughs> two years, Mike. It never came up. He wasn't harassing me. And then one day he went nuts. And I was in his office and I said, that's it, Tom. We are no longer speaking ever. And there's not a damn thing you can do about it. Check my contract. He didn't know. 
He was the architect <laughs> of WIP, and he did not know such a such a, a clause existed. Uh, All indications are, God rest his soul, he's gone now. He went berserk that day. And it was one of my happiest moments at WIP. <laughs> You know, uh, your your agent is my agent also. Yeah, damn good that agent. Is most, that is the most legendary clause that I have ever heard of where the, the boss of the station couldn't even talk to you. But that's the kind of power that that, that you grew with. And, and it continued because now a guy named Mark Rayfield comes in. Yeah. And, uh, and I read the story in Philly Mag, which was a good story on you. And uh, he said that he could never, ever tell you that what you did was wrong that you just w- were unwilling to hear it that, like there, there was no possibility that you were ever wrong mark's a good guy he was a salesman he was an ad guy for mark to tell us what to do on our side of the building never resonated with me and i have nothing against the guy but i thought i knew better what to talk about than he did and I had the power at that point to say to him, now I'm going to do it this way, your move. And, you know, knowing that they weren't ready to get rid of me, so they were going to have to tolerate it. Now, the minute those ratings dip, you lose your power, all right? But <laughs> while you got those numbers, you could tell your boss that in radio, and they're going to listen. And I know that he had some misgivings about the way I handled those things. But maybe the fact that I'm still doing this after 33 years and he's in another line of work indicates that maybe I was right to begin with. People see people have a hard time understanding. People that work for bosses can't imagine that you could have the power not to listen to your boss or say, no, no, you're not right because we know better than you. Yep. Uh, and so like there, there's a there's a lot you know, people kind of resent that, that that we could do something like that. Well, Mike. Did you know better than the bosses you work with at WIP? Yeah. In in the the subject matter I was talking about, I did, yes. Yeah. One time, Tom Bigby said to us, we had to stop talking about Mike Tyson biting the ear off of Evander Holyfield. And his rationale was, we don't talk about boxing on WIP. And you said, hold on. You told me when I started here that we should be talking about what men 25 to 54 are. Go in a bar right now and find out if anybody's talking about anything other than the fact that Evander Holyfield is missing his right earlobe. Come on. So, no, the fact of the matter is, Mike, this is the truth. You and I, we knew more than they did. And we had the power to tell them that. And I'm proud we did that. We, We survived as long as we did because we had enough confidence. Maybe you could say egomania to believe we were right. And we were. Yeah, I'm, I'm not exactly in a position to sanction that at this point because I, somebody, I somebody, told, somebody, right. told, somebody told me I wasn't right. But I I, I want to uh, really, uh, I appreciate that you you had some kind words to say when all this no, happened at 97.5 with me. Mike, they, <laughs> listen to the show now. Oh, good move, guys. How you, you happy with that show? Good luck with that. See, I can well, and, and I this want, is what we're talking about. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, screwed there's no Mike, they screwed you. 
Well, here's what I will say. There's always a bean counter. This is related yeah. to what we were just talking about. There's always a bean counter that's making a judgment on programming. Yep. And uh, that that's something I never understood. Uh, like they they and and the people that run that station now don't understand the connection between an audience and somebody who's on the air for years. Yep. And to just disregard that seems a little odd to me. And yep. and the fact is, the same company tried to do this to Pierre Robert last year. I know it. I know. And, it. and I'm thinking to myself, like, what what you know would. Why are where does that could you not understand the connection that radio gives to people who listen every day? I hate bean counters. I have never listened to them. I would rather not work there than listen to somebody who's crunching numbers. It's why I hate analytics now, Mike. I don't think I like numbers at all. But bean counters, no. I, I'll take my chances with my own judgment. Yeah, one and one of the things I talked about, and uh, it probably came back to bite me, was was politics. And you stayed away from that pretty much. That was was stupid. You shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yeah, I I understand, but I see. Here's the thing about me: I I have this this uh, this righteousness in my heart, and uh, I saw a country being torn apart by an idiot, and and so I I said it. And uh, and I'm curious to like, were you ever tempted to go there? I did go there during the um. During the COVID and the vaccine, when I was yelling at people to get the vaccination, and I got amazing uh, pushback. And I did it for a week or two, and I went, oh, I don't have anything to talk about. There's no sports right now. We're in a pandemic. And then mm-hmm. I said, now I'll find something better. It's not going to work. Because I take emails now. And you sh- I'm still getting emails from people telling me that the vaccine is going to kill me. And I went, well, at this age... <laughs> They'll probably think it was yeah, something else. <laughs> and you see, I have this belligerence where I can't, I can't, I don't yeah. have any tolerance for for idiocy. Yeah. And, and instead of just ignoring idiocy, yeah. I go back at idiocy. Yeah. And I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish. It's like I'm on this mission to save the world, which I know I can't. Yeah, it didn't work. You didn't save the world, Mike. I'm sorry to tell you. <laughs> All you did is kill yourself. Not good. Shouldn't have done it. <laughs> Let me play a little word association with it, because I just want to get your immediate reaction when I bring up certain people. Norman Brayman first. Norman Brayman, a cheap jerk who didn't really love football. And uh, he got what the fact that he charges players for their socks. Hey, come on. And you're right. You uh, honored Sam Stan Hockman earlier. Uh, He called him bottom line Brayman and Brayman hated him for it. And that's what a journalist does. He gets under the skin of a guy who's not serving his community well. Hated the guy. Yeah, and he also said about you that the people uh, that uh, that listened to you when, when it came to him followed the uh, ignorant leader psychology fostered by Mussolini and Hitler. Yep, that's a good one. I know. He was a car dealer, right, Mike? Yeah, that's the guy <laughs> I'd be looking for for commentary. Yep, thanks. <laughs> All right, the Dirty 30. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dirty 30 was a bunch of drunk guys who ended up going to the draft to cheer the announcement that Ricky Williams was going to be an eagle. He ended up not being an eagle. Donovan McNabb came out. We booed like lunatics. Most of the guys were really drunk. And and then uh, Donovan McNabb held the grudge for over a generation. Uh, (laughs) What that did, uh, we didn't plan it that way, but we exposed – uh, McNabb for being too sensitive to ever really be beloved in Philadelphia. 
we did something good. Well, that's exactly what it did. It, 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 it put a permanent stain on the guy to the yeah. point now where, you know, it's funny. I uh, We were talking about Eagle quarterbacks the other day. People will bring up three other quarterbacks before they get to the best quarterback in franchise history because of how he did not connect. Yeah, he didn't connect. And the fact is that we saw it right there day one. And it wasn't right. – we yeah. didn't make him that way. He would have found something else. Joe Banner, Jeffrey Lurie. Uh Jeffrey Lurie, you know, over time I've come to accept the fact that he put a good franchise on. Uh, I'm not going to rip Jeffrey Lurie. I'm, Joe Banner was the most contentious, obnoxious weasel of a man that I ever dealt with. And the fact that the Inquirer still thinks his uh, opinions are relevant and have put him on for years beyond Joe Banner divided this city he made enemies of all the other franchises besides the eagles and um his banishment to cleveland and then to irrelevancy is one of the better things that happened in sports in the last decade good riddance wow. joe banner <laughs> good riddance uh yeah he's uh, by the way he's very active on twitter yeah good. Uh, you know, it's really he's he's really kind of bitter about a lot of things yeah um how, how rich is he stop being bitter yeah. you're lucky you had a good friend <laughs> joe, joe uh jeff Lurie. be happy yeah he did he got lucky uh all right wing ball wing ball you know i'm still <laughs> i'm still coming to terms with it all these years later um i still got behind me that 26 is actually it's a um, it's it's a uniform from the final wing bow we did. It started as one of the great radio promotions of all time, putting twenty thousand drunk people in a arena to see fat guys eat chicken wings. Uh, you would not be able to propose it and get anybody to think it would work. It did work, and then sales turned it into something that became um, unpalatable to a politically correct time. They sold um, sponsorships to gentlemen's clubs. Then we got porn stars into the building and we got all the strippers in the building. And then we made a lot of enemies. And in the end, it was pretty rank. But for its heyday, from five to 15, it was a great event. And I was proud of it. The last 10 years or so, not so proud. Yeah, it, it defined the station. There's no question about it. All right, just two two last things. Yeah. What interviews or subjects that you've interviewed stick out the most and and which which leave you with a bad taste? Uh, the one I was most excited about and always remember most fondly is when I got to interview my hero, Wilt Chamberlain. I love Wilt. Uh, he had just put out the book where he had slept with 20,000 women. He knew Brookie. Uh, he came to our show at the Wyndham Franklin Plaza lobby. Uh, one of the first years I did this, and I was spellbound. And he's such, he was such a great storyteller. I'm sure most of the stories were not even true, but it was fun to hear him. He's a behemoth of a man, and I love just being there. I, I still, it's the most exciting thing, I think, that happened all the years I did, I did radio. Uh, I think this was actually on my um yeah, I had a whole bunch. I on the radio, Gabe Kapler, because Gabe Kapler was one of the biggest phonies I ever ran across. And he didn't give a damn what he said. He was protecting his players. 
And I challenged him one day. He was doing a weekly appearance on our show because Gene Segura didn't run hard. Andrew McCutcheon got caught in a rundown and blew out his ACL. And I said, are you angry at Segura for causing the injury? And he said he didn't cause the injury. And I said, well, then how exactly did that happen? And then he stammered and stumbled and attacked me and said the question was not a good question. That guy was the worst. So I'm proud of the way that came out, even though it was ugly. And one time I had a big fight on TV with Ed Wade because um, Ed Wade was uh, defending how great Terry Francona was here. And um, Terry Francona ended up being really good. But when he was here, he wasn't. And we had it out. And it was fun. <laughs> I liked doing it because that guy was a weasel. Ed Wade was a weasel. I, You know, it's funny because I loved, I remember more of those conflicting interviews that I did more than I remember the, the really good ones. Uh, and for me, yeah. it was David Akers. And I don't know if you remember this, oh. but D David Akers uh, had kicked a field goal with a uh, pulled hamstring uh, in a game to win a game. He, uh, and, and he folded his, his weary body into the bosom of Donovan McNabb. And it was the back cover of the daily news. Like, like he, he had survived a, 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 a mountainous fight in Afghanistan. And uh, so I, 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 I ripped into him and he called into the show. And 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 his whole thing was that he he was a better athlete than I like he was making the case that he was a better athlete than I was. I read where you said that what everything you said you totally believed. And so for the record, for the people out there who who claim that you were just making up stuff, that you were doing it to entertain, that we were entertainers, straighten that out for us. All right. I'm glad you asked this. No one's ever asked me this, Mike. And here's the thing. I have never expressed an opinion on the air that I didn't actually have. Now, there are theatrics involved with expressing it because we're entertaining people. I would never go on the air taking an opposite side just to generate some, some action. Every opinion I've had in 33 years, I have truly believed when I've said Sometimes I have changed those opinions. But when we are arguing, and Al and I, you know Al, he doesn't prep anything. <laughs> Al never knows what I'm going to say. When we would have fights and it went, oh, you guys set that up ahead of time. Never, not one time. What I have said, I have believed. I have ramped it up. I have made it sound like the end of the world when maybe it wasn't quite that. But that's a theatrical element of it. The opinion itself was real all the time for 33 years. Well, that, that, you know, that's admirable. So, um, you, so you brought up Al and Rhea and the whole cast that, that's with you. So just, just for Rex, to, to, to tell the people how you do the show, you plan every segment of the show. They, do do, do yeah. they know where you're going with it, or are they there just to react to what, what agenda you're driving at the time? No one totally has an idea. Rhea has more of an idea because we're booking guests, and I'm telling her like the kind of things I think I'm going to be Heading toward, Al has no knowledge of any kind. Everything he hears on the air, he is hearing when the other people are. There is nothing said to Al before any game. And that it's more spontaneous that way. That's the best way he works.
He's not a big prep guy. Yeah, well, it, it worked for so many years uh, wonderfully. And listen, uh, uh, best of luck. I, I was still looking at you going, this son of a gun is going to go out on this white horse where there's going to be two championships. No. This is going to be his, his last year. The Phillies are going to win the World Series. The Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl. No. I, I don't, they, the Phillies didn't, and I don't know where the Eagles stand after last night. But uh, where the, they're not, they're not, winning. they're not. No. That there will be no more parades. No, in fact, the, the, when they when they get eliminated, I get to retire. So I'm thinking maybe the second round <laughs> they might get a bye. They they may take they may take you all the way. So that first day, that first week, the first month, what are you doing? Uh I know what I'm doing. Believe it or not, I am going to attempt to move back into writing. And I'm going to attempt a memoir on the 35 years of being a part of the craziest sports community in the world. That's wow, that's awesome. Have you been taking notes all these years, or is this going to just empty your head? Mike, I have the notes from the first show I ever did. <laughs> yeah, I have notes. I don't know that I want to read them. Some of that stuff I can't say again. But uh, yeah, that's the plan for at least the first few buds and see how it goes. And if no one reads it but my grandkids, at least I'll force them to read it. Somebody will read it. Oh, there'll, be a, there'll be a lot of people that read it. Uh, Ange, listen, uh, it's an honor for me to, to sit down with you in this forum. And best of luck to you. And uh, keep the show going until they win the Super Bowl, I guess. The honor's right back at you, Mike. It's a pleasure. It was uh, great that we came up together and that we did what we did. It was a lot of fun. It's the Mike Nussanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, that was the great Angela Cattell. That was really fun. Uh, I liked uh, uh, talking to him about uh, th- this whole thing, this this whole evolution of Sports Talk Radio that, that he was in first, and then the rest of us kind of followed. And um, if he doesn't make that transition from newspapers to radio, I'm not so sure we have a Sports Talk Radio landscape. I, I really believe that. But in any event... Um, Thank you for listening to the show. I, I know this was a day that we would normally talk a lot about the Eagles' loss, and there's a lot to unpack with that. So we're going to do that on Thursday uh, on how they could lose to the uh, Washington Commanders. And, and it, it's one loss of nine. We didn't expect they were going to be undefeated, but there were some things that we need to be concerned about because uh, the template Washington showed last night and the Texas uh, the Texans showed the week before was that this team is susceptible to uh, running the football against them. And uh, something's going to have to change there because there's a couple games coming up, including next week with the Colts with a running back. And then, of course, the Titans with a running back. Uh, so uh, I'm a little bit nervous, and we'll, we'll flesh that out a little bit on, on Thursday, and we'll get into our picks of the week. This has been the Mike Missinelli Podcast, uh, episode 23. We do it on Tuesday, November 15th. And uh, we'll have our, uh, uh, course, Thursday podcast coming up. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoyed uh, Angelo Cataldi. And it's Mike Miss, and I'm out. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.